sponsor of Latino Citroën. Today we have Ana Nunez, a lifelong activist who has faced death in the face and survived. Ana tells us how her life's purpose has defined her in becoming an advocate for social causes. If you have a boring, meaningless life, you are in for an adventure to learn how to put some fire and meaning into your living experience. So let's get on with our show. Ana, welcome to the show, Latinos Who Thrive. Gracias. Happy to be here. So, Ana, tell us a little bit about your story. Where are you from and, and how did you get to become an activist? Um, first of all, gracias uh, for this opportunity. I am a native Houstonian. Um, I was raised by an undocumented Mexican immigrant mother. And she, where is she from? She's from Juarez, okay. from um, Chihuahua area, too. Um, so she crossed over through El Paso um, and, and then migrated on her way over to Houston. And what distinguishes my immigrant experience lived through my mother is that she, for whatever reason, cut off ties with her family. And she was the only one that came to Houston. So we grew up without any tios, tias, cousins, grandparents, no family support. And for me, I think that's why my Latino community is my familia, right? Because my community, my church community, um, they are, you, sometimes you have to make your own family. And so, um, but witnessing all of the injustices that my mother endured and all of the like the, our congregation and church was mostly undocumented Latino and seeing the struggles is what really helped and formed and shaped me into the activist that I am, especially for immigrant rights. How did that affect you uh, in your experience, not having a foundation, a fabric of family, fabric of ancestral ties? How do you think that affected you? It, it affected me profoundly, um, but I think that's also why it helped shape me because I, I leaned into my religious family, my church, and, um, and then my faith in God to help guide me throughout my life. As I well. think that's a very common experience with immigrants that they uh, uproot the family they go to the States and they break that bond. Did you ever reconnect with your biological ancestors? That's a, a really interesting story. Before I go there, um, I'm reminded of this uh, song by Juan Gabriel, where he says, um, Vas a aprender a amar en, como like en tierra ajena, or, you know, you, right. you, your faith in with God is very different. I'm not saying the, the correct words, but when you are in a strange land, you learn your relationship with God is very different. So the truth about me is that I never met my father. The first time I, I laid my eyes on my father was through his mugshot. Uh, I was in my 20s. Um, my was the result of an affair. My mother had an affair with a married man. And I never met him. I never knew who I was. And that, yes, has profoundly shaped me good and bad. And um, so it was not until my 20s where I, um, this is an overshare, 
I did every man's worst nightmare where I literally knocked on the door of my father that I tracked down and he opened the door and I said, uh, my name is Ana Nunez. Uh, I, you knew my mother, Maria Nunez, and I think I'm your daughter. And he didn't want to talk to me because his wife, who he was still married to, knew nothing of me. And by then I was in my 20s and I had uh, my son was like about a year. And um, I'm going to skip on over to uh, an even wilder story. Um, so I met him once. I wanted to know about he was actually from San Juan, Texas. And um I, he was in his, he was 77 years old, is still very alert. And um, I met him once and I never really maintained contact with him. Um, I, I would do things differently. I'm 54 now. Um, he later sent me a money order for a hundred dollars in, in, you know, and, and on a, a senior fixed income, that's a lot of money. And I, at the time, I reacted differently. I would not have done that, but I was really offended. Like, do you think after all this, all the suffering that I went through in my life, $100 is going to take care of things? And I mailed the money back and I said, I, I didn't want your money. I don't want your money. So we didn't, we didn't maintain contact and um, he had been in and out of jail and prison in Texas and um, an officer is the one who actually helped me find him. Um, so that's when I saw him for the first time through his mugshot. So friends, so, let me tell you about Anna and how I met her and why <laughs> this interview is taking place today. I met Anna years ago at a nonprofit organization swearing in of their officers. And we hit it off instantly because she was so transparent. Most people would be deeply ashamed to reveal the roots of who they are, where they come from, uh, with someone like you, Anna. But you are not ashamed of anything, are you? I think it's, it's important to be authentic. Um... And that's powerful. And let me tell you why. Uh, Brene Brown's whole ethos is about releasing shame. She rose to meteoric success through her research done at U of H and getting on Oprah and talking about how shame limits us from our full potential and how shame shuts down a lot of the range of emotions that we're capable of feeling. And so you can never be authentic ever if you try to repress shame. Okay. So uh, I think that is why we hit it off right away. When I was talking to you, I forget you just go from cause to cause fighting, <laughs> fighting and, and advocating for causes. And I even forget what cause you were advocating for back then when I met you. But you seem authentic and without knowing you for your full history, I would have joined you in your cause and supported your cause uh, because you have that kind of charisma, that kind of uh, attention grabbing that stays for life. And it stayed for me uh, for years. I mean, I'm talking uh, about 10 years ago that I first met you. You didn't even remember where we met, but I did because you made such a lasting impression. And so what can you tell listeners, uh, Anna, about having that kind of authenticity 
to be able to be yourself and feel comfortable in your skin? I think that we, it's important for us to embrace los golpes de la vida, the blows of life that God gives us um, that we don't choose. But I think that because of that is why I am, you know, you said you jump from cause to cause because, um, because they're all interconnected. I am strong in voting rights because that's the way su voto es su voz, right? Because that's how our communities, our black, brown, uh, BIPOC communities are able to give, have a voice. Um, I understand what it's like to not have um, affordable housing, to not have a home. It, you know, I went to five different elementaries, three different middle schools, two different high schools, because we lacked affordable housing. Um, I, I advocate for education because I know what it's like to have a subpar education, what my family endured. Um, so the reason that I advocate, and especially, you know, obviously in honor of my mother, um, you know, I've seen the difficulties that are um, faced by the undocumented Latino immigrant community. And so I think that I'm very great. My mother has since passed, but I'm very grateful that she, it, I think it takes a, a, a special bit of courage for immigrants to leave the motherland, to go into a strange new land with not knowing the language, the culture, the people without family ties in search of a better life for their children. And I feel like we have that moral obligation to honor that jornada, to honor that sacrifice. How? And, and How help others. Oh, helping others. Okay. Now, right. so you have made your life's purpose in helping others. Absolutely. Tell, tell us about some of the groups, organizations, or individuals that you have dedicated time, energy, and resources, probably in your case, at times that you didn't have to give. Yes. So I have worked, um, I have worked in public health. Um, I've worked in, let me backtrack. I've worked in, in the nineties. I, used to belong to a group called Latinos Unidos in Houston. Leonel Castillo had this grassroots coalition. Uh, from the 90s, I would literally go knock on doors with uh, Naleo, Hector de Leon, Mike Martinez. We would all go and try to register our communities to vote because in order to fix any of the injustices in our community, we have people either, there's two ways of having power in this world. One is through money, and the second is through the power of the vote. And so we have to, especially Latino community, have to make our voices heard. And the best way is through voter registration. So I've also been very involved with um, Maria Jimenez, who um, she has since passed away, but she is a long time, very highly well-respected immigrant rights advocate. So even in the 90s, uh, I was involved with the ARCA, the um, late amnesty cases from the Ronald Reagan era, um, fighting for comprehensive uh, immigration reform, fighting against abuses on the border. Um, I later went on 
to work with the ACLU of Texas. I was a communications coordinator, and that is where I really uh, delved deeper into criminal justice reform, you know, education. I've served on the board with DEHAS, which is Texas Environmental Justice uh, Advocacy Services, focusing on the environmental racism issues that are affecting, disproportionately impacting brown and black communities, especially along the, the, the ship channel, the petrochemical area, where our communities have higher incidences of cancer um, than other communities. And you're and, a cancer uh, survivor. So yes, um, but even before then, um, I had a daughter um, and I lived in my mother's, you asked me, you know, about the effects of growing up without a father. Well, that was one, you know, I've, I've had a couple of marriages early in my twenties that, um, you know, you look for love in all the wrong places, searching for that love. And I have found now in my, in, in my older age, that the biggest love for me is to being the most important thing is to be a servant leader. That's how I find joy in my life is by serving and helping others. And, uh, but back then, um, so I had my daughter and I was a single mother and I lived in my mother's home, which is in Northside, Houston. And unbeknownst to me, she, it was so old, it had lead in the paint. So many homes that were built before the 1970s, paint had lead. And if you live in an older home that's peeling, all of that, the dust is lead. So as I breastfed my daughter, who I breastfed until she was um, almost three, um, I passed lead in from my breast milk into her. And so she had, was affected by lead. And so in prisons, in poor communities, especially in Houston, we used to have this uh, old organization called the Madres a Madres that was located um, in the near Northside area. And they, along with Texas Women's Hospital, they did a study of black and brown young men who were in prison and the majority of them had high lead counts in their blood, which affects them behaviorally yes. and, and intellectually. So, you know, these issues that have hit home are because I've lived them. Let me piggyback on what you just said. There was one study that was done that uh, the crime rate in communities that started to uh, pass laws against a certain level of lead in the gasoline, the crime rate went down. And it was tied directly to the levels of lead in the gasoline in the area. So that's been proven that the criminal mindset, uh, we're not saying that all criminals uh, suffer from this, but there is a correlation in the criminal mindset to the environmental contamination. Well, in Houston, another another thing that I feel very passionate about is advocating against the air pollution. Our petrochemical industry has really infected our air quality. We have cancer-causing chemicals that are spewed in our communities. Um, and so uh, later on in life, I was affected by breast cancer. Um, I have 
never drank alcohol. I've never done drugs. I've never smoked. I don't drink coffee, tea. I mean, I am clean and I've done everything that people say you should do so that you don't ever have cancer or have, have a health effect. And yet that happened to me. And I think that that is why I also have become uh, an advocate for health at equity. You know, human, uh, Healthcare is a human right as well. And, um, and so it, it has also shaped me. I later on went to go work with the UT School of Public Health, um, working on cancer prevention programs, specifically targeting, um, you know, minority communities and low income communities. And I think that all of these issues are interconnected, that we can't just care about one without it's spilling over and affecting all of our lives because we are parents, we have our children are in the educational system. Uh, not all is equal. And it's up to us to be advocates for our community who don't have a voice. Anna, there's a lot of listeners to this podcast that come from uh, different age brackets in different parts of the country. So if some young advocate minded uh, person is listening to us. What advice would you give them that you've learned the hard way uh, through decades of being an activist? Starting out, what advice would you give them? Um, I would say that we have to, um, we have to stay present about what we have to keep aware. I mean, I, I think number one is subscribe to your local newspaper. Okay. I, to me, that's one of the most radical things that you can do. You've got to support the local journalism that's going on. Read your newspaper, find out what's going on, because reporters are reporting on different things in the community, but we are so tied to social media and we don't pay attention. You got to, I hate to use this phrase, but you got to stay woke, right? And you've got to really honor your own life and know that your experience will give you fuel for your fire. And for me, I know that the greatest joy that I have is when I'm in service to others. And that's for me. Um, but I also feel that we have a moral obligation to especially advocate for those who are voiceless. Okay. And if your whole life flashed before you, what do you think was pivotal in moving the needle to get things done? Whether it was legislation, awareness, publicity is like what? Give me the distillation of tips that you can give activists listening to the show. How so, can you get it done? I think um, there, what is their old quote? I think of things um, that are impossible and I don't ask like, why not? But I, uh, others say that they're impossible. That was Robert Kennedy, right. by the way. He said, and I'll tell you the quote because I've used okay. it. He says, some people look at the way things are and they ask why. Other people look at the way things could be and they ask, why not? Amen. So one of the most important um, projects that I ever worked on was, um, it was in the 90s, and it was alongside, her name is Alejandra Rincon. She is a, uh, she got her PhD at UT 
at Utah University of Texas. She is a Colombian immigrant and working alongside with her and other like-minded people, we were able to work in concert with at the time, which was the state representative, uh, Rick Noriega. And we passed House Bill 1403, I think, or 06. And that was the first time that Texas, under a Republican governor, passed a bill allowing undocumented immigrants to pay in-state tuition in order to go to college. This was way before the DREAM Act. And so to me, that was really one of the most uh, profound moving pieces of legislation that we were able to do because we were able to help um, our undocumented community. And it wasn't just Latinos, but um, there's a very old book called uh, Drink Cultura Chicanismo by Jose Angel Burciaga. I think that's his name. And in there, he gives the story about the, being the piñata buster. And he talks about how uh, many Latinos in corporate America oftentimes are the Latino buster, meaning when you're at a party and you're the one breaking the piñata, you you're blindfolded, you have that palo, right? And you, right. T you, you take the swing and you hit it and you crack open that piñata. The, the piñata opens up and yeah. the spoils, the candy fall to the right. ground and all the kids lunch towards it. And very rarely in his book, he says, does the piñata buster enjoy the fruits of his labor? Because by the time you realize you crack the piñata, you take off the, the blind, all the candy's gone, right? right? You look to the ground and it's gone. And I think that it's incumbent upon many of us. Many of us have been the piñata busters, either in social active justice activism or in corporate America, where we have been the one to take the hit. And we have very rarely, it's been the people behind us that have benefited. And, my, but I think my I'm mind sorry, goes, goes to my personal experience from your story. When I was studying journalism in high school, I wrote a, such a controversial story that uh, my my journalism teacher loved it, but the school board banned it. Oh, it was about early graduation and why uh, students had the right to early graduate. So long as they met the requirements, uh, the state requirements uh, to graduate. And I was advocating for for the right to graduate early, but the school board wasn't going to have it. And so my teacher, my teacher fought the school board and my story was published. So that's where my mind went with your story. And and, you know, we all have our story to tell of how we were the piñata breakers. Buster. Right. The piñata buster to be the trailblazers, to be right. the ones to do it the first time so that others would follow. Now, you're evergreen, and that's why I wanted to have you as a guest on the podcast, because you constantly are out there thriving against all odds, never giving up. What is it that drives you? It's like who influenced you apart from your experience that you shared with us? 
who were your mentors or who were your idols that you looked up to? For me, it's Maria Jimenez. She was my mother in La Causa, right? I, lo I, I met her in the 90s. At the time, I was working uh, with the U.S. Census Bureau, and my job was to convince the undocumented Latino community to participate in the census, to share their information, and their fears was that the federal government would then in turn share their personal data with in, in the old days, it was, you know, immigration or the IRS, right? And, um, and so she was an entry into the undocumented grassroots immigrant community. And that's where I, I met Benito Juarez, Teodoro Aguiluz, um, Nelson Reyes. Those are uh, Teodoro, Nelson Reyes, they're, they're, they're Central American. Benito Juarez is Guatemalan. Um, but many, I mean, what I love about Houston is our diversity in the Latino community. It's not just Mexican-American or Mexican-based. So we have a strong Central American community. And so I think that for me, Maria Jimenez epitomized self, you know, such unselfishness and great love for the community and her continued sacrifice. Now, you asked me earlier, what are some of the lessons that I that you would learn that you would tell a younger activist? And I would say I had to learn the hard way to have self-love and to put yourself first and to take care of yourself because that analogy, like when you're in an airplane and you're traveling with that. a child, right? You've clients. got to put the yes. air mask on your face first before you can save your children or those around you. And I think that uh, she died from cancer. She died poor. She died. Uh, she was, she sacrificed and gave so much for the community. And in the end, the community was not there for her. Um, she, um, and it was, it was heartbreaking and she died alone. And, um, and I mean, she, she, she had her children, right. But, her house was in, in bad decay. There were many um, prominent Latino lawyers, bankers, uh, elected officials who said that they would help her and they did not. And so to me, um, you know, I credit my faith through giving me that strong moral compass because at the end of the day, and this is not about religion, this is about, you know, a God that has given us strength, but is also telling us that we have to advocate. He, he was with the, um, the poor, you know, the prostitutes, the adulterers, the, you know, tax collectors. He, he was not with the high society. And so we have to, if we are to truly live God's word and loving one another, it is to be um, our fellow man's keeper and to, advocate especially again i come back to those who have those who are voiceless i knew maria personally i had a couple of brushes with her as a news reporter when i was covering uh immigration rallies now she was a firecracker <laughs> she she uh she was a guerrera she was a warrior down in the trenches how yeah, did her passing anywhere. away affect you personally um, I was just thinking about her a couple of days because I was sorry um, because I really miss her. 
I saw um, a news story that uh, appeared on NPR about uh, the legendary advocates, uh, and and her name came up. So she is a legend. Uh, oh yeah. no, she Maria Jimenez uh, worked alongside Gloria Steinem in the seventies, wow. advocating for women's rights. Um, she she is known nationally. She was once stopped in an airport by a border patrol agent to tell her how much she is hated. She was hated for all of her work documented, documenting abuses along the border. I mean, she has such a long, um, you know, history. And, you know, what I think is remarkable about Maria Jimenez is that she was an atheist. Um, Interesting. So, so, so for me, like my, what guides me with the same fire was not what guided her. And to me, that that made me admire her even more because it was her profound and pure love for her, for, for her fellow um, human beings to advocate for the dignity. That's what she taught me, to advocate for the dignity and respect of all human beings that we all deserve the right to be treated equally. And so I saw, you know, her selfless devotion. And so how can I in good conscience, like, especially now, like during COVID, we can't really go to marches and what have you, but um, I tweet daily. Um, I'm on Twitter at Nunez underscore Anna at A-N-N-A. And um, I'm always hashtagging the Texas legislature. You know, we spoke earlier. Um, I put my hat in uh, to run for state representative, representing my hood in uh, Northside uh, and in the Heights area of Houston. It was a really bad timing for me because at that time I was losing my housing, which is why I'm an advocate for affordable housing. Um, my job was um, affected due to ending of grant funded projects. So, you know, I think it's important when you when you talk about like speaking to young activists, um, have I had it easy? No. Um, but people that like Maria Jimenez have been there for me both both personally, like my mother, um, and and as an advocate, as a shining example of always, you know, fighting for the injustices and for other people. And I think that that is what has fueled my fire. But she is by far uh, the greatest example I, I've ever known. Anna, you have lived a, a very storied life in being a, a, if you weren't a newsmaker, you were in the crowd. You had a front seat. Uh, at a lot of events, a lot of high profile people that were the newsmakers. Now, what advice would you give the younger Anna? If uh, if you could go back in time, say the 15 year old Anna, what advice would you give her? Oh, gosh, um, I would say go to college. Don't get married young. I got married at 18. Um, don't do that. I would uh, say I you know, I, I've made a lot of mistakes in my personal life because I didn't have the love of a father. And so, you know, uh, a lot of women will understand, you know, um, it took me a long time for me to finally lear learn to respect myself and love myself and to have higher standards for myself. Um, but I, I, I would say that you've got to keep, you got to keep pushing ahead. You can't, you know, 
you have a choice in life to either sink or swim. And I've always been of the mindset that I will be damned if I sink, right? You have got to keep pushing. And sometimes it's about getting through the day or getting through an hour. You know, I have, um, I've had horrible things happen and I've endured a lot, but I also know that that has shaped me to be the woman and the leader that I am. And I say leader in entre comillas because um, it really is about being a servant leader. And um, yes, you know, you say, okay, I'm not just one who advocates on one issue. Why is that? Because uh, my life has been impacted by so many issues and that, that I feel that are important to address. And so, um, yeah, I just, you have to just keep, tienes que seguir adelante. You so have to get up. Déjame decirte unas palabras de consuelo. I just finished reading the book, The Sweet Spot, The Pleasure of Suffering and the Search for Meaning. Okay. So this is a research-based book on how a life that is filled with happiness is a life that is miserable. So wrap your mind around that. A life of happiness is one that is bored, filled with boredom. There's no depth. There's no character development. And it leads a lot of people to uh, feeling very empty at the end of their life. Okay, so he, here is, here's something I feel very strongly about. I think that we have a choice in life and I think that you have to choose not to be the victim in your own life. Have you suffered? Yes. Were things unfair? Yes. Could it have been better? Yes, but it wasn't right. And you have a choice whether to grow from that, to learn from that and to move on. Right. And so I don't, You know, yeah, I've gone through. So let me piggyback on that. So when you do that, you enter into the sweet spot. Because after every setback, there is a sweet spot of happiness when you overcome the challenge. And so the journey is part of the happiness. The journey and the suffering and the struggle and the pain our highs and lows in that, yeah, we go into the lows with, uh, with setbacks, with uh, scarcity, with discrimination, however you want to frame it. But when you, ha- when you don't have the victim mentality, when you have the survivor mentality, you will get past it. You'll find a way. You may not know how at the time, but you'll find a way if you search for the way so that you don't enter into the despair of being a victim. And so on the other side of that challenge of that low, there is a level of happiness that most people have never known. Yes. And I guess another piece of advice that I had to learn the hard way, and it was really hard, especially with Maria Jimenez, is that I have always been, I think, you know, fearless and bayonera and advocate. And sometimes because, um, you know, I didn't even know any better, you know, you're, you don't know. And so you're, you're strong and you're advocate. But when I got cancer, it was, it was the hardest point in my life to have to ask for help because I needed help. 
you know, and someone told me, you have to, to allow others to have blessings in their life. Right. And so when- if they offered to volunteer out of their own volition to help you, and you don't accept the help, you're depriving them of that joy right. of helping you. So, so going through, you know, my own cancer journey, Maria Jimenez, I'll, I'll never forget, she went and she met me at MD Anderson Cancer Center. And I was during one of my appointments and she, in her very limited income, she gave me some money, cash, right? And I had a really hard time accepting it, but I needed it, right? So fast forward a few years, she got cancer. And because I had already gone through that hell, I knew exactly what to do. I established a GoFundMe account. We raised over $10,000, which isn't a lot, but it, it, was, it was helpful to pay her, her, her doctor bills. I, I knew, as a, again, as a single mother without a lot of family support, you need food, you need sustenance. So I arranged for people to bring her food and, and we brought her nutritious food to heal her body. But I think that's a prime example. It's like sometimes you have to find the meaning behind your own pain, right? Had I never gone through that hell, of my own cancer journey, I would not know, have known what to do to help her. No point. Like of reference. I yeah, knew. Sure, sure, right. Sure. And so, um, you know, I, I know that it's, it's sometimes you're just too exhausted. You're hard. You've been hit, you know, los golpes de la vida, and you just can't go on. And so in those moments where, um, I've gone through life where, um, I just couldn't get up in the morning, but you have to, right? You have to get up. Um, one of the things that I really hated when I had my cancer was um, I, I still, I worked. I only took one day off to do chemotherapy. I rested through the weekend and then I went back to work and then again on Friday and it was just a vicious cycle. And I used to get really angry because um, I didn't have the luxury of staying in bed I, I didn't have a husband. I didn't have, you know, support, but it was thanks to that, that my oncologist said, you're doing really great because my ass had to get up because I had to take a shower because I had to, like, I, I had to get dressed. I had to drive myself to the office and I had to work and I had to focus on something else and earn a paycheck to support my family. Um, and, and pay my, my bills. Right. And in retrospect, um, I was grateful. Like I'm grateful for that because I know that because I did, I wasn't allowed to wallow in bed that I healed better. I healed sure. faster. There's and I actually, think that yeah, there's actually scientific studies done that that kind of mindset actually produces the neurochemicals that you need that impact the healing process. I've read some of those. That's, that's why I'm, I'm commenting about it. So, but um, by the same token, um, you know, Maria, she was a guerrera. Like you said, she was an Adelita. She was this warrior. And I remember we were talking about our cancer stories. And um, I rem at the time that I got cancer, my daughter was in fifth grade. She was 10 years old, right? And I didn't know whether... I was going to live to see her grow up. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. 
And I remember telling Maria when I, when I was told that I had cancer by the doctors that I cried and she said, well, I didn't cry. You know, (laughs) she was like really tough and she made me feel ashamed. Right. She goes, I didn't cry. And when she told me that she had cancer, I started crying and she got mad at me. She was like, don't you cry? Cause I didn't cry and we're going to get through this and, and what have you. And, and I think that you also, it took me a long time, um, to learn how to cry, to give my permission, somebody, you know, to give myself permission that it's okay to cry because you try to be so tough and to endure it all. And it's okay to show weakness is what I would also say. I call those uh, raindrops of the soul, that kind of crying. You know, scientifically, when you do let go of your tears, there is stress in those tears that you're releasing in your body. You know, we, we, I think we all face life differently and none of us has the right to judge each other how you endure. But the, the biggest piece of advice is you just got to keep on. You, you, you just got to get up. Anna, have you collaborated with other activists nationally or internationally? No. No, just locally? Yes. And Texas, yes. maybe Texas wide? Well, I would say uh, Pancho Arguelles is also one of my other heroes. Uh, he has um, been a longtime immigrant advocate. Um, he uh, was a former, he just recently uh, started a fellowship, but he was recently the executive director, unpaid executive director of. Uh, Living Hope Wheelchair Association, and that is an organization that helps undocumented immigrants who were injured on the job or on their migration over to America. And can you imagine, we all complain about our lives, and yet, you know, those are those who, those who are undocumented have it harder, but imagine being undocumented and having and being paraplegic yeah. or being wheelchair bound. And so this is the organization that helps. So anytime that you think that you have it bad, people always have it worse. And so yes. we, you know, we still have to, we have to do for other, we constantly have to think beyond ourselves. And to me, that that has been the only way to have fire in my belly is, is when you think about others. Have you ever read the book Fire in the Belly by Sam Keen? Oh, I have not. You have? (laughs) I highly recommend it. Fire in the Belly by Sam Keen. Sam Keen is a disciple of Joseph Campbell, the anthropologist. So it's a very good read. Okay, thank you. So, Anna, what do you consider are some of the biggest challenges that we have as a community for Latinos specifically as a community statewide or nationally, what are the challenges that you think we need to be aware of? Cause you, you're right there in the front and center of, of a lot of these issues. Somebody once said, you know, the, the problem with our, the Latino community is that, you know, we are a, a people of passion, right? And we, if we only understood our self-worth, and the giant that our community is, for example, in Houston, we are a majority Latino city. Down in South Texas, you have a majority Latino, but in power, you don't have majority, like why are, we don't have majority Latino leadership. And 
to me, it all stems down to if you care about the environment, education, immigration, like I can just go on and on and on. All of these issues first start with the vote. And until we get leadership that really, and sometimes you and I both know, they can be the same color as we are, um, advocate or represent the best interest of our communities. And so to me, the most important thing is tenemos que darnos nuestro lugar. We have to give ourselves our place and understand our value and our worth. And that starts with registering to vote. And that means all of our family and not just vote, uh, registering, but voting and our families don't. Why do you think that's the case? I think that they, again, it's a lack of, of amor propio, right? Self-worth of understanding our worth as our people and also um, without understanding our moral obligation that we, like I'm talking for myself, my mother was undocumented. She didn't have the right to vote, right? She was not a U.S. citizen. And so we have the moral obligation to represent our communities that don't have that voice. If they've given, they've made the sacrifice to our communities and especially, you know, those high Hispanic communities who forget where they came from, forget their roots and forget our people. Anna, you are very well read. You're very well lived. You're very well connected. Give us five tips that you would give to people on how to be an evergreen person like yourself. Five tips that they can that they can implement. You've given us the mindset. You've given us the philosophy. What are five tips that people listening to this show can implement? And being that vibrant person that is authentic out in the world, out in the marketplace? Five tips that have defined you. Number one, you got to You got to keep your head out of the sand. You've got to, you've got to keep aware, like ignorance is bliss, but you've got to really find out what's going on and how is that impacting your community? Number one, so I no subscribe to your subscribe to a newspaper, support our journalism. That's important to me. Love yourself enough to take care of yourself. We hear a lot of this, love yourself, but how? I think that if you know your worth, know your worth, know our worth in our community. And if we are, you're not going to settle for less. And so, you know, um, in that book, Dream uh, Cultura Chicanismo, it talks about how, you know, the bad thing about our Latino community, and this was written, I think, in the 80s, his book was. So, you know, it was way back then. And he said that, you know, the good and the bad thing about our community is is that those que aguantamos, right? Aguantamos, we, we put up, we, we endure, we, we go through so much and but then also we learn to like settle for less. Um, let's talk about like the colonias. There are neighborhoods and areas in Texas in 2022 that still do not have running water. So what are you saying? No aguantes? <laughs> I'm just saying you've got to stand up. You, okay, We have up. to stand up for ourselves stand and up. for our community. And take to say, stand. you know what? Huh? Take, a, take a stand, speak up. Vote, make some noise, do something that. And now it's 
we don't have any excuse because you can be powerful just by with your with your cell phone find an organization that cares about issues that you do like there is Nalel, there's lulac if we're talking you know uh, unidos us there's grassroots organizations find a topic or something that you feel passionate about sign up to their newsletters because they need advocates you can express your discontent through Twitter, through, you know, uh, sending letters to your elected officials. And it's easy as clicking on links that organizations uh, care about. We've also got to branch through. Um, I, I also subscribe to the Black Lives Matter newsletter and around Hispanic Heritage Month, they were talking about Latino issues and immigration issues. And so, you know, we've got a partner and work together with all of our communities. Okay, two down, three more. Give us three more. I would say the mistake that I made when I was in my 20s is that I didn't understand the importance of coalition building and that you can get more done strategically and smarter by working in partnership with others because then you become the piñata buster, you become, you take the hit and the golpes, and then you don't see that the the fruit, the good things happen because you're the one that's crying foul. And so I think that I would have worked smarter and not not necessarily harder. That uh, you got to work with other people that can directly influence and change the things that are going on, and never lose never lose sight of what is possible. And if it's not you know, we have to remember our, who we are and our ancestors. We are all here because of the sacrifices and the steps of generations of our ancestors who have allowed us to be where we are now. And I think especially those of us who were fortunate, not through any action of our own, but who are citizens of the United States of America to still advocate, especially for those who cannot. Okay, two more. Um, I think that you can't ever, um, I think that you have to keep it real. Like you said, I think that you have to remain authentic. I think that, um, you know, I How guess can we do that. Um, I think that, you know, I don't pretend to be somebody I'm not. And I think that we have to really understand for ourselves what is really most important in this life. And that's, you know, each other, our families, um, our connections. I think right now we're in 2022, we're two years into this coronavirus pandemic. And we have really seen what society is all about. There are people who, who are anti-vax, anti-mask. And to me, that's a really selfish thing, right? Because we, this is about the greater good, greater, you know, if I'm masking, um, I'm protecting you against me and I'm protecting myself too. I'm protecting other people. And we've seen without going, going into the politics of it all though, you know, we've seen how it, it is important to care about our fellow man, that we're all in this together. There's no you and me. And especially in, and, you know, you may be at a higher level, but it's undocumented immigrants that are preparing your food, that are growing your crops, that are building your homes, that are, you know, and, and so, and if they have COVID, you're going to have COVID too. And so we've got to, we've got to care about everybody in our community. 
I'm going to pick your brain and get very specific down in the weeds on this one. You are a writer. You do a lot of PR. You've written probably hundreds, if not thousands of press releases. What is the best way to get your story published in media? What have you done that your stories have been published or follow-up stories have been done on a press release that just went viral? You know, I, I, I was blessed to be able to work with the ACLU of Texas where, you know, we were able to work on a lot of national uh, things, the statewide. Um, all I can say is that um, for myself now personally, because I'm not representing an organization, I'm just re representing myself. For me, how I, I continue my advocacy daily And it's not about burdening you yourself with, oh, I've got to, you know, how I can't ever publish anything. Um, I tweet every day. I, I post on Facebook. I mean, but I, I tweet more about public policy issues. I read, I subscribed, you know, this is a nerd in me. I subscribe to the Houston Chronicle. I subscribe to the Washington Post and the New York Times. I read them every day. I And I can't help myself, but you know, you raise, I, I, you read, read the Texas Tribune, read, um, you know, stay connected to what's going on in our community. Reporters are reporting on it, but, but they need to be elevated too. And so how I do it is I elevate stories and things that people need to be aware of that, that don't, that get buried sometimes. Which by the way, that's how you got on my radar. <laughs> <laughs> by, oh, really? by reposting a lot of Washington Post uh, stories that are informative and yeah. very interesting to read. So uh, I concur with you. Well, thank you. All right. Well, uh, folks, there you have it. This is Ana Nunez Unplugged. Uh, <laughs> the, real thank you very much. the real story behind the story. Gracias de todo corazón. I appreciate it. Have a and good thank one. you for all that you do for our community. It's so important. And you two have been, um, you, you mentioned this in the beginning, is that there are difference in leaders about those who are fly by nights and, um, and those that are in it for the long haul. And you yes. two have been there and for the long haul. And, you know, those are the people that are really, truly authentic and that care about our community. Yes, we so have to. You. No hay de otra. Tenemos que unirnos y tenemos que seguir luchando y tenemos que seguir prosperando. Adelante. Amen. Thank you, Ana. We'll keep in touch. Gracias. Un abrazo.